One year ago, the world was bracing for the fall of Kiev. Well, I just come from a visit to Kiev, and I can report Kiev stands strong. It was his first State of the Union address since April 2021. I wish to repeat, they started the war. We are using force to stop it. It is right and proper that Universities Australia has not taken a position on whether to support the voice. I think self-funded retirees and hard pensioners and those who are looking forward to retirement uh, maybe in 10 or 20 years will see a great uncertainty. We should be up for a national conversation about the future of uh, some of these concessions which cost the budget a lot of money. Based on what ASIO is seeing, more Australians are being targeted for espionage or foreign interference than at any time in Australia's history. AUKUS is about much more than nuclear submarines or even technological interoperability. AUKUS is about the future. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has weighed into a debate about whether the works of children's author Roald Dahl should be rewritten for modern audiences. Because we've become a little more sensitive to how words can affect people. What are you at getting terribly fat? What do you think will come of that? I don't like the look of it. The rap. The rap. Joining me to wrap the week is author and senior columnist at the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, Jacqueline Maley, and former ABC foreign correspondent, now co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology, Sydney, Professor Monica Attard. Welcome to you both. Hello there. Thanks for having me. I want to start with the anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Monica, I don't know if you just heard the uh, former Foreign Secretary of India there saying that India's role in this is rather pragmatic. We know they abstained from the UN vote. Uh, Today, China's President Xi Jinping is expected to deliver a peace speech, uh, urging parties to come to the negotiating table. China appears to be, well, increasingly uh, willing to insert itself into this conflict. Are we right to be sceptical of this diplomatic initiative of China's? Well, I mean, I think all diplomatic efforts in in times of war are are going to be, you know, self-serving to an extent, and I don't think this is any different. Um, the, the, the policy positioning paper from the Chinese Foreign Affairs Department comes, of course, you know, at the same time as the vote at the UN General Assembly on this first anniversary. And, and you know, again, China abstained from voting um, to condemn the invasion and, and calling on Russia to leave Ukraine, which is, you know, not, not big news. That is the position it's, it's adopted since the beginning of the war. Um, I think that, that the policy statement essentially doesn't contain all that much that's new. There's the same very pointed concern about uh, the threat of the use of nuclear weapons, seemingly China's red line, if you like, in its tacit support for, for Russian action. I mean, of course, it's silly to predict what Russia might do in the months ahead on that on that front, but I think it's safe to say from what Putin himself has said that he won't strike without what he considers to be sufficient reason which, of course, might be as little as the provision of air defence systems to Ukraine by NATO and the United States. But but, but that aside, um, you know, there's a lot of downside uh, for him and for Russia in, in taking that course of action. But but in relation to China, I, mean, I think, you know, China says it wants negotiation and dialogue, it wants to lead that dialogue. It does have that relationship with Russia. I think you could expect that any dialogue it does have... Um, uh, you know, will come down on Russia's side because there are a few very, very contentious issues, the Donbass and certainly Crimea, which I don't think 
um, even Ukraine expects Russia will voluntarily give up. And I think that uh, Beijing would not want Russia to give it up either, given its own um, ambitions on Taiwan. Um, I think what was new about what Beijing has been saying recently is that its explicit support of Putin's blame of NATO for instigating the war and, and the call for the end of this Cold War mentality of, you know, we won the, we won the Cold War and... Um, um, Russia should just uh, bow at our knees. That attitude is something that um, I, I've not heard China express so explicitly before. So you know, but China has a has a huge vested interest in in bringing this war to an end as well. I mean, it it needs um, Russia's commodities and it needs a stable Russia in order to get them and have have a, have a and be a stable supplier of commodities. And whilst the war is raging, that stability is obviously jeopardised. And China is, if 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 not anything, uh, economically pragmatic at the best of times. Jacqueline, uh, the Ukrainian ambassador to Australia, Vas. Vasyl Miroshnichenko outlined Ukraine's path to victory in a speech to the National Press Club today. Obviously, a big part of that is more support from the West, including Australia. Uh, he used the downing of the MH17 uh, and the deaths of 38 Australians to illustrate our kind of connectedness. But do we have an appetite to continue to equip foreign governments to fight wars so far away from our shores? Yeah, it's a really interesting question and it's kind of almost a very unfortunate test case in that sense because I, I, I fear that, you know, we're looking at further conflict in the near future, um, particularly, obviously, with, with China, which will directly affect our interests. I kind of, I had a bit of a look around for some indication of what the broad support or otherwise is for Ukraine. And the Lower Institute did a poll last year which um, asked Australians about this. And broadly speaking, Australians are worried, you know, they found quite high levels of anxiety about Russian expansionism and the invasion amongst Australian people. And it found that like nine in ten people said they supported um, admitting Ukrainian refugees into Australia and, you know, about the same supporters keeping strict sanctions on Russia. And then Again, like 80-something percent supported providing military aid to Ukraine. I think um, there's probably a broad recognition that this is an expansionist power in Europe, um, which is dangerous and is, you know, is sort of connected to Chinese interests, which directly threaten us in the Pacific. So there's probably broad support for it. But um, I think it's interesting that we have confined our support obviously to military aid and to money and to sanctions and there's you know if there was ever any talk of troops or any any sort of major um military engagement in that sense i think i think the tide would turn Let's move on to talk about The Voice. The Yes campaign for the Indigenous Voice to Parliament was officially launched in Adelaide. The Paul Ramsey Foundation, uh, founded by the private health pioneer and full disclosure, I have a family member that receives funding from that foundation. Uh, they put in, what, $5 million for the campaign yesterday in an address to the University's Australia Conference. Liberal Senator Sarah Han uh, Henderson was more or less rallying against schools and universities publicly advocating for a yes vote. Uh, in Senate estimates last week, she said, quote, there is no room for activism, campaigning or personal agendas in Australian educational institutions. This does remind us of the same-sex marriage vote. Many corporations certainly jumped onto their views about that uh, constitutional change. Monica, has the UTS decided its position on this voice to Parliament and, and will it remain neutral? 
It, 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 it hasn't yet decided. Uh, in fact, today the Vice-Chancellor announced that a working group has been formed, um, which will be chaired by the pro-Vice-Chancellor. Sorry to interrupt, Monica. Your line has just gone, gone terrible. Uh, I'm not quite sure why we'll work to, to fix that. Maybe if you could just move your face a little bit away from the phone. Let's try again. Can you hear me now? I hope you can hear me. Look, it, it is actually um, kind of terrible. I'm just probably just going to put you on hold and we can see if we can't uh, improve that line. Stand by. Okay. Jacqueline Maley, uh, there appears to be growing trepidation about the outcome of the referendum. This week, Indigenous leader Noel Pearson told 7.30 that it, he would fall silent if it failed. Today, Susan Lay uh, accused Labor of willing uh, the coalition to oppose it, labelling the referendum Anthony Albanese's re-election vanity project, end quote. How critical is the coalition's support to the potential success of the referendum? Look, I think it's pretty critical. I mean, obviously, I think if it's kind of like if the coalition definitely signed on, which looks increasingly unlikely, particularly given those comments by Susan Lay this week, if the coalition did sign on for the Yes campaign, I think you could pretty much, you know, you could be very, very optimistic about its chances of passing. Um, but without the coalition, that obviously the the road to victory, as they say, becomes a lot more um, a lot more narrow. The coalition, I think, probably doesn't have a lot to, you know, politically speaking, probably doesn't have a lot to lose by saying by campaigning for no. They're probably under a lot of pressure from their base to campaign no, and their various sort of. Um, you know, the sort of commentators and so forth in the media on whose support they rely. Um, I think it would probably hurt them in the teal seats, but that doesn't seem to be something that Dutton is particularly focused on at the moment. Um, and politically, you know, if they do support a yes vote, they're essentially handing or, you know, helping to hand a victory, a huge political victory to Anthony Albanese. So, it's horrible to think about it in these terms, but if you're thinking like a politician, I suppose you would say, why would I give my opponent who I want to trounce, you know, in two and a half years' time in an election, um, a, a massive sort of, um, you know, moral and real political victory that um, will ensure his legacy? You know, it's... It, it, and on the same, um, by the same token, Anthony Albanese has stoked so much of his political reputation on the referendum and on the yes vote that um, he'll be in peril if it doesn't pass. So you can see where the politics of it sort of is starting to fall. And I think it's very unfortunate for the hardworking activists um, and, you know, people like Noel Pearson who will be utterly, utterly heartbroken if the, if the yes vote doesn't get up. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you, but it would be naive to say that there aren't campaigns here, and I'm not saying that it's necessarily tied to Anthony Albanese, but it is his legislative agenda, and the campaigns have aspirations, uh, whether or not uh, those run as deep as to the uh, opposing political parties. Uh, we're obviously yet to see, certainly on the Liberal side. I believe we've got Monica Attard back. Uh, Monica, apologies about that. I okay. do want to hear from you about whether the University of Technology Sydney has decided on a position to the voice or, or will it remain neutral? It hasn't decided yet. The Vice-Chancellor today announced a working group um, which is going to be looking into it. That's going to be co-chaired by the Pro-Vice-Chancellor for Indigenous Leadership and Engagement and the Pro-Vice-Chancellor for Social Justice and Inclusion. 
um, it's been formed to consider a range of matters leading leading up to the to the to the vote. Um, but UTS, of course, has a very very strong commitment to social justice. So I think it's a matter of watch this space. Um, but for now, the working group is apparently looking. Uh, at three broad principles that, that that UTS has this long-standing commitment to supporting the right to self-determination, um, that they uh, that, that participation in, in, in the upcoming referendum is a democratic right and a responsibility. And thirdly, which is quite interesting, in line with its policy on academic freedom and freedom of expression, that it will support and promote a safe and respectful space for a debate on the issue um, and, uh, you know, and a discussion of the issues raised by the referendum. So so, um, you know, that's where the university stands at the moment. Yeah, it, I'm struggling to remember back at the plebiscite uh, for same-sex marriage whether or not there were large organisations in the Australian public landscape that did come out for the no campaign. I can only really remember the, the yes. I suppose there's more downside uh, you know, really social fallout for a negative response as opposed to a positive. I do want to ask about, well, that leads me perfectly into talking about Roald Dahl. Uh, we all read the books as children. Uh, I do have to ask you about the revelation this week that hundreds of language changes have been made in the text of his much-loved children's books, his UK publisher, Puffin Books. I believe it was recently acquired by Netflix. Uh, this, they, will, they brought in the offence uh, consultants, I suppose you'd call them. Uh, they've taken out colourful descriptions like uh, enormously fat and ugly and beastly. Uh, we had uh, earlier in the week children's author Andy Griffiths uh, come in and, and he, really he was so pretty supportive of the revisionism. Jackie, what do you reckon? You're a mum or in a modern parlance, a parent, uh, a parent or a carer, I've got to say, uh, to young children. Which version of Roald Dahl books will you read to them? <laughs> well, it's interesting because I'm really torn on this because as an author and a free speech um, sort of um, champion, I would I, I kind of hate the idea of text being um, wrecked or text being messed with in this way. And I think some of the changes were really over the top and kind of sort of too sanitising. But at the same time, when I read Roald Dahl books to my daughter, I, I sort of lightly edit them myself because <laughs> as much as, as I go. loved them, well, yeah, and, and, I've and you know, I've speaking to parents this week, other parents, they do the same because as much as I loved them when I was a child and I have memories of how imaginative and inventive and mad they are, they're actually like really dripping with misogyny and, you know, a lot of really sort of dodgy stereotypes when you read them um, with adult eyes. And so I actually think what's sort of been missed is that this is a commercial decision that the publishers have taken because they want the books to be relevant to modern audiences and to be bought by that parents. Is, that is know? a good point because that's exactly what Andy Griffiths said. I mean, he wants his books to reach the widest audience as possible. Uh, so too our program here on RN Drive, which we are facing down the threat of PM in a few seconds' time. Professor <laughs> Monica Attard and Jacqueline Maley uh, from Nine Newspapers, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Thank, thank you. you for having me. ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.